At Amica Insurance, we know it's more than just a car. It's the two-door coupe that was there for your first drive. The hatchback that took you cross-country and back. And the minivan that tackles the weekly carpool. For the cars you couldn't live without, trust Amica Auto Insurance. Amica. Empathy is our best policy. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. The rare Monday gamer tonight. Some underrated, really good games. A lot of games between very solid teams, but teams that weren't necessarily expected to be right on the radar here with the Clippers, New Orleans, Minnesota, Houston toronto and denver which will be uh, our feature game tonight I want to remind you too we moved over to uh, a new server so if you're having any issues with that or if you want to just uh, help us out by clicking on that rss feed and automatically downloading it when you're on wi-fi and it doesn't cost anything uh, that would be fantastic also a reminder too that a list of all of our sponsors for the holiday season uh, available at nateduncanmba.com if you just google nate duncan mba sponsors you should find it very easily so I think the place to start here is with that Denver Toronto game Denver big upset takes it 106 103 it was tied at 103 and we can talk about how that came to be but I think we should start with the decisive play one which occurred during a dead ball situation yeah I mean there are a couple of different points that are important to make here so what happened was Serge Ibaka Nicole Miritich was kind of it looked like he was trying to come out towards the baseline to get the ball and Ibaka grabbed him unambiguously Ibaka grabbed him and the referees called it so that meant that it was one free throw because it occurred before the inbound yeah and that is a point of emphasis a point of education as uh, our referee who is more equal than other referees Monty McCutcheon would tell us and Monty did say in a conversation with Ethan Strauss that you know in critical situations in the playoffs he was going to put the onus on the referees to continue calling the game the same way and make sure that these weren't called I think it has led to a better game more freedom rolling to the rim and Jokic was coming off a stream trying to get open he, it looked like he was going to get pretty decent post position on Ibaka in the tie game and Ibaka just straight up grabbed him I mean it clearly was a, a foul I mean I think there's no arguments about that yeah, I, I don't think there are. I mean, I it, it's funny how tweets and all that get taken taken a lot of different ways. I it was ambiguous, but I, I was expressed surprise that a game was decided that way. But I agree with the call. I think that you need to call things the same way over the course of it, and especially on that because if you stop calling that sort of a freedom of movement call in the last couple of minutes, it totally changes the way that certain teams are going to play, and then you get an advantage by breaking the rules because that's the whole reason it's against a point of education in the first place. And that led to the the, the situation where Jokic makes that free throw and then what that that has all these different ripples because instead of it being a tie game with Denver having the ball it now becomes them having the lead and inbounding it so then you have to foul they did foul Jokic makes both of those free throws and then Toronto has to go down and try to make a three to win the game as opposed to a defensive stop to keep the game or to tie the game as opposed to a defensive stop to keep the game tight yeah and the fact that they're out of timeouts uh, at that point was a problem as well now I mentioned that 
that Toronto lost the game by giving up a point when, when the ball was dead. Well, there was actually another point they gave up when the ball was dead too, and that was Nick Nurse's technical foul. He was really getting on the referees in the second half. I'm not sure if the referees were responsible for Toronto's three of 22 three-point shooting in the first half, but there's a foul which he didn't agree with where Jonas Valanciunas gave up an open three to Monty Morris. He was switched on to him. He probably overhelped on Millsap, who didn't really have a huge advantage on Siakam. And then Valanciunas had somewhat of a reckless closeout, ended up getting called for a foul. Toronto people didn't agree with the call. It was certainly questionable. But Nurse goes just completely crazy. I mean, this wasn't one of those, hey, they never should have teed him up. I mean, just watching him on the screen, you're like, oh, yeah, he's going to He's gonna I thought it. he was going to get tossed. Yeah. yeah, I mean, he had he had and, the crazy eyes. It, it was uh, he was out of control. Yeah, and and it, it, he had been working himself into a lather over the last like four or five minutes, just a couple of non calls or calls that they disagreed with, and that happens with coaches and referees. I mean, you know, you you get into this idea that they're not calling it right or that they're calling it unequally, and sometimes they are. I I didn't watch this game closely enough to assess whether there was a legitimate grievance here, but there is also this level of it's not irony; it's just kind of weird coincidence that. The the player who inspired that rule change is on the Raptors. He was not on the Raptors when that happened because Kawhi Leonard was was on the Spurs then. But the big man closing out on a small guy shooting and getting into his landing space is exactly what inspired this rule change. So it's not a live by the sword, die by the sword situation, but it is something that they are acutely aware of. And the league in general has gotten a little bit touchy with this. But again, if we're going into the line of player safety, there are other things they could do. But you know that you that you don't have to contest it by getting into that guy's airspace especially when it's a late shitty contest in the first place yeah and he shouldn't have been so far off of him I, I felt like but but it was interesting too because you might say all right well you know he was really trying to fire his team up like that was just a calculated play well i understand that if you're down 15 or you're down 10 early in the fourth and your team just doesn't have any energy it was the exact opposite case i mean denver had been up you know five points 10 points most of the way in this one and they roar back toronto does they're within one they're in the midst of a really nice comeback and then the three shot foul happens and that's when he goes ballistic but like his team was actually playing pretty well up until that point and so you know he, he did end up making after the technical two of the three free throws so that takes you from down one to down four and it took a while then for the raptors to, to get back in the lead they finally did it only in the last couple of minutes uh, finally uh, through i believe it was a Kawhi leonard jump shot and pick and roll but uh, it seemed like that just wasn't the time for it and then you know usually getting a technical you think of and again you know i think there's not evidence that i'm aware of that teams actually play better than after technicals you can also make the argument well it's to like show the referees just how bad of a job they're doing and maybe you know subconsciously they'll call more for you well if they did it didn't help because the decisive call went against the raptors in this game but it's a high risk high reward strategy right i mean you are giving up a point and basically saying i mean sometimes you might just lose control and get the technical which is you know that's not good uh you're hurting your team by doing that but if you're gonna say hey it's a calculated strategy what you're basically saying is well by giving up this point i'm gonna inspire my team so much that we're gonna play better enough to make up that point and it really you know they already were playing pretty well there it didn't make sense in that situation so maybe that's a nurse's inexperience maybe he lost his club i mean we, this is one point here i mean we don't need to go crazy on this these technical files we <laughs> wouldn't normally but i, I think just a, a sort of a discussion of when it makes sense for a coach to get a technical and when it doesn't i really felt that this was, did not fall into that category yeah i i'd agree with you and a way to summarize to summarize that is going after the refs getting attack or even getting yourself tossed is kind of a david strategy you know you yeah, do it yeah. when you don't have many arrows left in the quiver and that wasn't the situation they were in i think the story of this game for me was Nikola Jokic. he was carving up the 
Raptors defense early, not necessarily as a scorer, though he did have, I think he it's up like 14 in the first half, but as a passer, I mean, I thought he did a beautiful job finding guys. He had that one crazy one that's been sent around. I retweeted it where he, it's kind of a, an, a sidearm kind of three quarter pass to the opposite corner. It, it was something a water LeBron does pass. In ver- that, that's where, that's where he has a water that, has pass, that yeah. background. Um, yeah. And those big soft mitts where he's able to kind of get those angles. Yeah. And LeBron can do those. I mean, a little bit differently, but they're really the only two guys that you see do with the kind of velocity that had. it wasn't a looping pass. It got there right on point, and then that gives the guy more time to shoot. And he was great. 23 points on 8 of 13 from the field, 7 of 8 from the line, drew some fouls as well, and then 15 assists, 7, I, 7, oh, sorry, that's 7 I mean, rebounds, 11 rebounds, 7 defense rebounds. Like, how many centers are getting 15 assists? I mean, like, I've said it, I'm saying None. No. Oh, did you, did you know that stat? Oh, yeah, no, it's her. The stat is that no center has ever had 15 assists in a game before, but Jokic, I believe, has done it now a couple of times. Really? That's surprising that even Wilt, uh, in his, I'm going to just stand there at the elbow and throw passes stage, well, it didn't never I'll, I'll, I'll cross-check it. I think Bontemps had it from ESPN Stats and Info. I'll cross-check it while we record. Yeah, but that's still, I mean, he's just, uh, certainly in the modern era, the, you know, he's six assists a game. I mean, it, it's just absolutely incredible. And I mean, this is a pretty, you know, they're in the top 10 in offense right now. This is a good Raptors defense that they played pretty well against they did have a bunch of turnovers which is what really ended up holding down their efficiency in this one but i mean he was just uh, diming them up and he's not diming guys up in the sense of like you know oh i'm just so fantastic in the post that you have to double me and i'm going to kick out to open shooters you know that kind of elijah on shack type of dominant assist i mean that is a, a different type of passing but you know he's just seeing stuff and creating it and sure you know some of the stuff is just a dho it's regular stuff but you know every player is going to have those type of assists i mean if you just go through ben taylor tweeted it out in the first half to just some of his best pass i mean he throws this like little like looping chest pass into the corner to someone for a three uh there's the one that you mentioned i mean he hit a couple of guys going back door the other thing they've been running a lot too which really takes advantage of him is a set that we saw cleveland run all the time last year ironically enough against these raptors so they were coached by a different man and had a different roster where they would bring kevin love out of the corner have a small screen for him to cut into the post with the ball at the elbow and lebron would be the guy standing there you know george hill corver would be setting that screen to try and bring him into the post and the idea being if you switch it then you have a mismatch in the post uh or you know your great passer Jokic, your lebron can find him going back door and love is probably the best guy in the league for that because he can also step back for a three which Millsap isn't really going to do but that play was pretty effective i thought usually it'd be jamal murray setting the screen and he obviously is a good shooter and then if Millsap cuts and Murray is isn't open that he can come right back and get a DHO from Jokic as well so I, I like that set they also even set up a, a Tory Craig three where the Raptors if they gave up a couple of back doors to Millsap quick post-ups they had the weak side guy come all the way over off of Tory Craig who started the second half with Harris out and they had, Craig actually hit a three with no hesitation that was good to see from him um what else you got on this one well first an update on the assist question Will Chamberlain did it 10 times. So yeah, Will Chamberlain did do it. Uh, but Jokic is the only other guy with more than one. And I'm going to need your reference because this is a name I am unfamiliar with. Clement Johnson or Clement Johnson from the Pacers in the early 80s. And he's listed as a center. So maybe, but I don't I don't know him to to know whether that counts as a point of reference. Yeah, he had I mean, one. That, that name is like barely tickling the back of my brain, but I couldn't tell you much else uh, about him. Yeah. And so he has one, Jokic has three, Wilt has 10 because Wilt is 
insane. But let's talk a little bit about Pascal Siakam, because I thought Siakam did a nice job. You know, one of these questions that we've been having, I mean, we talked about him on the 15 and 60 on last night's show, but I always like seeing him against good competition. I thought he did a nice job on Millsap when he had that assignment. And there were times when the Raptors went away from it, and I don't think they should have because he can handle that. And Millsap's not such a dominant one-on-one scorer that you need to really worry about it. And Siakam's a great defender and, you know, had some really nice passes. You discussed yesterday his value added passes where it's not just, you know, passing it to an open guy and that guy makes the shot. He had a really nice one to, to Lowry at one point, one to Danny Green in the corner. And then one of my favorite plays of the whole night that was was a Siakam one. So he grabbed the ball, dribbled it up court, fi- found Kyle Lowry above the break, but Lowry didn't really have the shot. But because Siakam kept on running, he actually got open again. Lowry gave him the ball. So it wasn't an intended give and go. It was an improvised give and go. And then Siakam got a layup at the basket. And that's a good reflection of his, his effort and his passing vision to keep that going and to see it in the first place. Yeah, and he started that sequence with a really tough, uh, hard bust-out dribble to just start running down the throat of the Nuggets. Yeah, Siakam was 7 out of 10, and his true shooting percentage actually went down in this game because, <laughs> as we mentioned yesterday, he's leading the league in that. Uh, oh, yeah. I had a question for you. Do you take anything away from Kawhi Leonard going 1 for 7 on threes and 9 for 12 on twos? Not much other than just that. I mean, he's trying to take more threes. He said that, that that's kind of the last part of his game that's coming along this year and he's well below where he normally is career 38 percent 35 percent on threes this season again taking harder off the dribble attempts for the most part you know they don't have a ton of other guys that are setting him up in this uh, iteration of the raptors but overall i mean the raptors you know they did make eight out of 19 in the second half but the three of 22 in the first half is really what doomed them and then you know Lowry was one of six Van Vliet was 0 for 5 and they weren't getting a ton of wide open looks for great shooters you know I mean I thought the Nuggets did, again did a pretty nice job of closing out I mean one one of those misses was actually blocked by Millsap where he stopped Kyle Lowry on a drive and then sprinted to the opposite corner and blocked Leonard in the last five minutes it's just an incredible play by Millsap and I think he's not getting enough credit for how much he's helping the Nuggets defensively yeah I, I mean I, I said he was somebody I considered for all NBA and the reason why is because of his role defensively I think he's been just huge for them and Denver's defense is a big part of of their success for this year I mean winning this game puts them all the way up to 16 and 7 which is fantastic and I think Wancho has also helped them I mean I didn't expect him to to blossom in the way that he has as, as largely playing the three for them and he, he had a nice game Malik Beasley hit a bunch of shots including some big ones at moments when Denver looked like they were kind of stalling a little bit, you know, and get, oh, we should mention a little bit more about Gary Harris. So Gary Harris left the game early. They originally called it a hip issue. Now they're calling it a groin issue, but he has an MRI schedule for Tuesday, so we do not yet know the severity. And as we just saw, Gary Harris helps them a lot. So they can kind of replace him, but they don't really have a clear cut guy on roster. Yeah, and Harris uh, had just uh, returned from injury. And, you know, if he had to leave the game that early and it's a groin issue, I mean, you imagine the chance of him being back even in, in a week to me or low you know that's probably you're looking at like two weeks I mean, hopefully it's nothing worse than that he's gonna have an mri and hopefully it'll just show a, a strain oh one other thing i want to make sure we mention on this game again a, a process thing and it worked out you know results over process but toronto didn't have any timeouts left Jokic makes those two free throws to put denver up three and so toronto has to inbound the ball at their own baseline and then go all the way down the court with i think it was about six and a half seconds left and that is a circumstance unless unless they do the christian leitner you know inbound pass i guess that should be called the great hill pass because hill's the one who actually threw it but they didn't they inbounded the ball into their own backcourt and then they dribbled out the four and i'm just sitting there going this is a circumstance 
circumstance where you absolutely should foul because there isn't the ambiguity like if you inbound it in the in the offensive half and then maybe the guy's going to get a shooting foul or something like that there is nobody's going to do the like Chris Paul calling a shooting foul on in the opponent half and I thought that Denver dodged a bullet by not getting burned there yeah that certainly was a, a chance to foul at the end I think you know Mike Malone prefers to kind of play it more conventionally and you know is there a better chance of intentionally hitting the first free throw intentionally missing a free throw and then scoring i mean you do open yourself up in theory to the slightest of possibilities if they make the first get the offensive rebound and kick out for a three that you actually lose whereas there's a zero percent probability unless you commit a four-point play uh, a four or uh, a foul on a three-pointer of losing but you know lowry took a at a tough right wing three that missed and is the chance of making that lower than hitting the first free throw getting the offensive rebound and then scoring you know tough to say but probably they have a better chance of him hitting that shot and you know you might give up an easier shot than that too you know that was a pretty difficult one uh now they were out of timeouts i didn't mind the timeouts that they used because one of them they used was to try and get a two for one and they set up a pretty good play they're down one after Jokic hit a beautiful floater in the lane from a a jamal murray pass murray in his homecoming to toronto did have 21 and 8 but it took him 21 shots to get there and he also had seven turnovers but you know i I thought i didn't think he played a bad game necessarily i think they because they with harris out they just desperately needed somebody who was going to be able to provide some impetus from the perimeter and uh, monte morris wasn't playing that well so he was really their only guy who was doing anything off the dribble and that's something that they've really missed uh, with barton out so uh Jokic with a beautiful floater just in the tight windows that exist late in games against this surround defense and then Kawhi leonard had to drive it looked like he could have just gone up for a layup instead he kicks it out for three they get nowhere green has to throw up an off-balance contested two they get the rebound green is a wide open three that misses and, and then they had to follow her gomez so they drew up a play to get the two for one and Kawhi just did not take it i think he thought he had someone open for a three uh but i think especially at that point down one you're really almost better off going for the two to just make a bucket get in the lead the, the extra point that you get from the three doesn't mean as much when you're talking about the last 30 seconds of the game going from down one to up one uh so i i didn't really care for that decision i mean the nuggets are not this amazing shot blocking team I, I thought Kawhi had the angle on that one yeah I think that's a better shot especially when you consider the time factor that if he makes it then Denver you might you might even get another chance there and I believe they still had a timeout left at that juncture was that they did they burn it right after that or was it already gone Does no no then they said then they used the timeout to set up the Kawhi Leonard ISO which was an incredible right. yeah. shot over Millsap fading to his right along the baseline you know a decent look for Kawhi but you know that's Kawhi it's not a decent look for for a lot of people the other thing we should talk about is especially with Ibaka at at center the wraps do struggle on the defensive glass especially in the first half the nuggets were able to hurt them there Plumley had three offensive rebounds Jokic had four they actually went to Jokic and Plumley together a little bit more when the raptors had valanchunas out there in the second unit i think that's the time when that unit can work a little bit better and uh i think that's about all i had on this one but it's not all i have on minted they want me to talk about how awesome they are for christmas cards and certainly they are fantastic they're the only place you can get a truly unique holiday card that's not one size fits all you send them a photo to the number card c-a-r-d-s 22737 and they actually have stylists who will text you back with hand-selected designs created by independent artists that showcase your photo that all gets done for free you get free custom envelopes free recipient addressing but i actually liked it even better for our wedding thank you notes that was an even 
even better used to have something that was custom and where we had this spreadsheet with everyone's address in it we were just able to upload that to minted they send it out themselves you don't have to go through the whole putting it in envelopes process so you still have plenty of time to go through them to get your holiday cards out and as a new customer you get 20 percent off and free shipping through december 31st so you text the photo you want to 22737 we use this cool photo from our photographer on the wedding where we had at the end of the ceremony as we walked back down the aisle we had everyone blow bubbles that looked really cool so that's the photo we ended up using and if you want to use minted as well you can go text 22737 that's cards 22737 before december 31st you'll get that 20 percent off your first purchase and free shipping once again text your picture to 22737 all right let's break into a little news here we're going to save a lot of this for tomorrow but we do have to hit on the biggest news of the day a very surprising firing with fred hoyer we had talked yesterday on the program casey johnson said well it looks like this evaluation period for fred hoiberg is beginning here now that he's got everyone healthy and i thought it was even newsworthy that casey who probably has the best line into management's thinking as much as anyone can with that inscrutable franchise he was saying you know it wouldn't be surprising to see an in-season coaching change but now with lowry marketing having been back for precisely one game that coaching change has in fact occurred and noteworthy as well that jim boylan is being called the head coach they are actually giving him a chance to earn the job his contract goes through next season unclear if he's gonna get paid more under the larry drew situation although he's in a much more favorable situation it sounds like uh, than drew was and he'll probably get a raise although is he gonna get a longer contract who knows uh but i mean all, all of this just continues what has been a, a star-crossed time for fred hoiberg or i guess i should say ends a star-crossed time for fred hoiberg in chicago yeah and, and there are a bunch of weird things that like there was a, a quote from paxson saying we were in a similar situation last year at this time poor record but the entire energy about this group was different then what we're lacking is an energy and spirit it's not as simple as saying we would have got that with healthier players is that really their issue their issue hasn't really seemed to be energy and spirit it's that the front office didn't give them players that defend with energy and spirit and they were missing a lot of their good guys i mean putting the blame here on hoiberg and and maybe that's a cover maybe there's something behind the scenes that we don't know that is always possible that you you don't want to get into that kind of stuff but the forward facing rationale of this is bizarre because he was dealt a bad hand and played it i think reasonably well not incredibly like he didn't you know make lemonade out of this roster but he also you know didn't i don't know poison it or anything like that so i i always get really frustrated when a, f- a front office that is doing a bad job gets to scapegoat a coach that is doing a better job than the front office that is doing a bad job. We might see the same with Ernie Grunfeld and Scott Brooks in DC at some point in the near future. And I mean, it gets into this whole thing of, you know, when something's rotten in the state of Denmark, you need to figure out where the source is. And yeah, the the front office is going to say it's the coach's fault. But I mean, are the, is, are the ownership ever going to say, well, look at this, we've, we're cycling through coaches and the problem are still here i mean this regime has been in place since it succeeded jerry kraus back in 2003 and i think there's a feeling that they're on the right track having gotten markinen and carter in successive drafts i don't see a future superstar in either of those players i think i could see them being you know a nice nucleus of a front court on a playoff team but certainly you know i see those guys as maybe two and three on a good team if they reach their potential but probably more like three and four uh, realistically and it's 
possible that marketing could become like a big star but you know i think he's gonna be more kind of along the lines of a nice piece at, at this point in time i'm just not sure that he quite has the one-on-one ability and then defensively you know i think he's gonna be more along the lines of average but and their butler trade is looking better than it had i think the reason that they did this move now is that they didn't want hoiberg to start doing better i think that they probably knew pretty early on this year that they wanted to move on from him and that they actually you know jim boylan announced it in his first news conference that and there's no indication by the way that he like undercut hoiberg in any way they supposedly uh, spoke to one another but and remain friendly but jim boylan announced right away okay larry markin is going to start now this will be his first start of the season he he uh Markin and carter played all of 15 minutes together in the hoiberg era so i think optics wise they want to make it they also want boylan to succeed right because they're playing paying hoiberg five million next year and the only offset is if he coaches again in the nba which he apparently wants to do uh rather than college but which makes sense because coaching in the nba one more time and and maybe that'll be minnesota as uh has been speculated because glenn taylor likes him if uh thibodeau is on his way out but you know the way they're playing now that I mean that won't happen he i think they really want boylan to if not earn the job at least do well enough that he from a pr standpoint looks like he has earned the job and so i think this timing was a, a big part of that and so uh, boylan regardless of what kind of a raise he gets you know he's going to be one of the lower pay coaches in the league and he's probably not going to have a, a very long contract either one other quick thing on this before the events of the last two weeks this sort of a move would have made me connect the dots to Hoiberg becoming the next coach of the Minnesota Timberwolves. He has a lot of connection with that franchise. Thibodeau is on the hot seat, all that kind of stuff. But considering how well they're playing, we'll talk about them later in this podcast. We might even go to the right now. That is not the same statement that it would have been, you know, a little while ago. A little bit more on Hoiberg's performance. I mean, this will be a, just a brief summary here. It is rare that I will buy into the whole, well, it wasn't fair that this guy got fired, right? He had his chance. He, he made mistakes usually uh, i don't buy that you know and a lot of times i'm like well deserve it got nothing to do with it right whether you want to say that's unforgiven or the wire here i think the it was particularly unfair because hoiberg just never had a chance to put in his style now they did punch above their weight defensively boy though was the biggest guy on defense also did a lot of work as as was discussed in his appearance uh, on this very podcast last year which i think would be interesting to go back and listen to it i actually am, am going to do that uh, when we're done talking here but and i tweeted that out today at nate duncan nba so i don't know how much uh, hoiberg deserves the credit for them punching above their weight defensively and you know they weighed about a buck 17 so they weren't pun- they didn't have much punching power in this period regardless but i mean if you remember when he was brought in he was brought in to secede tom thibodeau because they felt like he wasn't doing a good enough job and they had championship caliber talent on the team with like Pau Gasol and Derek Rose and Jimmy Butler and you know Rose broke his face early in his tenure Jimmy Butler had a, a bad injury I think it was an elbow that year he missed his suitable 15 games they didn't make the playoffs that first year the front office didn't trade Pau Gasol which was, was uh pretty insane in retrospect they actually could have gotten something for him that, that offseason he ended up going to San Antonio uh and then they were going to rebuild and try to build more of a team around Butler but then they brought in Rondo and Dwayne Wade on kind of low risk 
contracts that actually ended up being vigorous the, the bulls back into the playoffs and lead boston 2-0 before rondo gets hurt although i still maintain they probably would have lost that series they just didn't have as much talent as boston and then last year was just a total tanking year they actually played pretty well when nikola mirotic was there i think they were over 500 i want to say with mirotic or pretty close to it which given the talent available on the roster was really good and then this year you know they went to 5 and 19 they had lost 10 out of 11 and paxton said you know it was about the competitive spirit blah blah i'm just i have no idea whether he's a good coach there is this feeling that he was like too soft-spoken and like guys didn't respect him and and you know there's plenty of soft-spoken coaches in the nba like brad stevens is a soft-spoken guy guys that respect him so i don't know i i mean it, like can you answer the question danny like if, if someone asks you well why did fred hoiberg get fired can you answer that question like i can't answer that question i think the primary reason he got fired was because the same people that thought Dwayne wade would be a good fit with his bulls team were surprised that Dwayne wade was not a good fit with his bulls team. <laughs> i mean i think that's that's the reason he got fired is is he got you know it's to use i think that's a bill parcells analogy like he didn't have good groceries and then they got mad that he didn't make something good and Hoiberg, I think, you know, generally speaking, and there are exceptions to this, obviously, that the the val- the clear value added coaches, they can sometimes appear, not necessarily early, but like even in kind of a tumultuous tenure. So he might not be in that group. But if you were to say anything below that, you know, top five to 10 coaches in the league, he could be anywhere in that range, like from a slight value add to a negative. And I, I don't think there's much of an argument that you could, there's not much that you could marshal other than some nebulous, you know, like, oh, he didn't, he didn't coach them hard enough, like Jimmy Butler reportedly said and all that kind of actually Jimmy Butler said that publicly it's not reported and all those sorts of things so yeah I mean it, it does kind of suck and that's why you you want to make sure that you you know we talk about this a lot for players of putting them in a situation where you can evaluate them it's largely a similar story with coaches yeah and maybe I'm contradicting myself a little bit because I've made the observation before that maybe teams should move through coaches faster than they do as soon as you find out a guy isn't one of those super value-added guys and I feel comfortable saying that about Hoyt you know i wasn't blown away i don't think he did a bad job i don't think he did a good job i think he coached about to the level of his talents overall i mean i think certainly even in that in that first year he had a lot of issues in terms of lineup construction and stuff like that but yeah i mean this is a, a team that had a lot of aging players that a lot of guys who are bigger names that don't actually really help you win that much and zach levine and jerry parker are those guys this year and you know the front office brought in cameron Payne, and you know is it fred hoiberg's fault that they didn't develop campaign Payne, you know, probably not. Cameron Payne wasn't any good. That was a ridiculous trade to give up as much as they did in that one with OKC. So, I, I mean, I do feel comfortable saying, hey, you know what? Ho- Hoiberg's not your guy to just say, this guy's awesome. Let's see if Jim Boylan can be awesome. You know, and, and Boylan, I think, w- was of the assistants out there, a, a reasonable choice to get a shot at a head coaching gig and uh, under perhaps difficult circumstances. So we'll see how he does. Uh, it'll be very interesting. Uh, what do you want to move to next year? I mean, we, we can talk about some of these other games, maybe not in quite as much detail obviously as that denver toronto game let's go to minnesota houston i mean this game i i watched a fair portion of the second quarter and thought at the time that it really turned when carl anthony towns picked up his third foul and a technical after right after that and had to leave the game houston went on a big run and that was the story of it until the clamps the suddenly clampy minnesota timberwolves absolutely shut houston's offense down in that second half yeah i tweeted in the second quarter that yeah towns had three fouls but you're getting to be down 15 points uh, to this houston team 
in the second quarter and what's the point of preserving talents at that point like you got to make sure the game doesn't get out of hand now and, and especially i mean there, there's always with foul trouble this like well okay we got to save him until the second half is it really that much worse if he gets his fourth foul one minute in the second half as opposed to in the last minute of the first half you know it doesn't really make a difference but nonetheless in this case it totally worked out for tom thibodeau and i tweeted as much saying that yeah you know bringing him back it worked and yeah towns didn't get his fourth foul until well into the fourth quarter but i thought really i mean i i watched the second quarter and then i went to watch the end of toronto and denver and then i tuned back in for the fourth quarter when minnesota had come back and i was like all right i gotta go back and watch the third now obviously and see how they came back and i thought you know they'd come out of the locker room like gangbusters no actually houston got two capella rim runs and transition they got an easy backdoor layup for harden who did uh, suffer a mild sprained ankle early in the game that may have affected his penetrating ability as time went on uh and then they got a bunch of wide open threes that just missed i mean they did miss a lot of three-pointers in this game and a lot of open three-pointers but uh, for houston to put up only 29 points in the second half was pretty remarkable and the wolves really finally came alive after taking a timeout going down 16 with three minutes gone by in the third i just looked it up houston went three of 22 on threes in the second half that's almost Western Conference Finals-esque from the, from the Rockets. <laughs> yeah, or, or uh, exactly Toronto Raptors in the first half against the Nuggets-esque. Uh, but That's right. So uh, that, that was a lot of it. I mean, they, they I think they if they hit some threes, they're probably right there in this game. And they're a team that can just look really bad when the threes aren't falling. Now, when they're not falling for Chris Paul, he was one of eight, one of seven on three-pointers. And I thought that Minnesota's pick-and-roll coverage to be pretty aggressive on him did take him out of the game you know he's not going to have the size of Harden to see over the top of that as well and he was giving the ball up and didn't quite have the passing he also had five turnovers which is a ton for Paul it's really one of the worst games I can remember him having in a long time he didn't get his first field goal until there were four minutes left in the game and the game was already done at that point so yeah I thought Minnesota's defense was pretty good and they did give up some wide open threes but these are not your same Rockets with Ryan Anderson and Trevor Ariza James Ennis is one out of three Tucker was one out of six eric gordon was two out of eight but he's really the the one guy in this team we're like oh man we just cannot give up an open three to this guy in theory but he's not shooting it amazingly well either and so when those wide open threes stop going down for the rockets you know i think that they that really can affect uh, their defensive effort and uh, they ended up giving up 38 points in uh, that third quarter as the wolves roared back jeff t got a couple of wide open threes in transition to bring minnesota back into a tie and then they just never looked back in a barn burning 17 to 9 fourth quarter for the wolves well it was interesting to do a throwback quarter where they played without a shot clock but <laughs> we should also mention something that that stuck out to me and you mentioned it also during the game the way that robert covington is able to attack a player who is not his cover without sacrificing as much or choosing when to gamble at other moments. So sometimes he can do the dig and recover, but then at other moments he just is like, okay, I need to attack right now. That has given an added dimension to Minnesota's defense. And I think Sharch has really helped them as well. And so now they just have pieces around Wiggins and Towns that I, I think make more sense for an overall defensive unit. Like Jimmy Butler has been a very good defender for a lot of his career, but Covington's specific skill set does work really well. Yeah, there was one play that I tweeted about where he's guarding Eric Gordon. You know, Eric Gordon likes to set up 28 feet from the basket on the wing. Chris Paul dribbles in the, into the lane on a pick and roll and 
Covington is able to time his dig perfectly to the nail and tie up Chris Paul, who's a great passer, before he's able to get that pass off to Eric Gordon, who, you know, again, was really far away on the weak side. I mean, he just has a preternatural ability to time that and then great hands. Uh, you know, he also had a great play, forcing a jump ball with Harden as well at a pretty big shot. Well, and grabbing a Capella yeah. dunk out of the air. Yeah, that was fantastic. Yeah, he's insane. Another big bugaboo for the Rockets, an underrated reason why they've struggled defensively in this season is their defensive rebound the wolves put up 33 percent offensive rebounds taj gibson had seven and towns had four and those really came to the fore the wolves had just been struggling pretty badly offensively and then as they started their comeback in the third gibson had a couple of offensive rebounds towns had an incredible offensive rebound where he moved about as fast as i've ever seen him move he missed a fadeaway jump shot going to the baseline the shot was short and he just exploded out of a cannon grabbed the ball you know changed his momentum completely and was able to lay it back in so Gibson had a couple of buckets on Capella. I think all, not only is Capella being neutralized by being out on the perimeter more in their switching scheme, but I think just overall offensively he's been about the same but defensively i think both guarding towns in the post i mean even taj gibson scored over him in the post on switches he just has not had the same athleticism has not played with the same level of force this year which again has been a part of the reason for their struggles i mean if you had to say what are the number one reasons for their struggles you know chris paul not playing that well not hitting threes not having as much shooting would probably be the first couple but then capella who did have a wonderful offensive game with 24 points on 15 shooting possessions but i think him now not being as good defensively has been part of their struggles also and maybe part of that too is just that he's had to play so many more minutes this year and he's been up in the mid-30s and minutes for the first time in his career that could be a factor and so to put a point on it last year rockets fifth in defensive rebounding this year so far 28th Oof. and that is a difference of about six percent of available rebounds between this year and last year and so those are additional opportunities and high high value opportunities for the most part yeah and ryan anderson again you know he was a valuable regular season player for this team everyone forgets well he sprained his ankle at the end of the year and then he was terrible in the playoffs and he got cooked in game seven by Steph Curry in that crucial third quarter but he was a valuable regular season player for this team now ironically enough he doesn't even play at all in Phoenix he was supposed to be a big help there I and mean, we've basically forgotten that he exists anymore he and you know, he still has another year after this one at 20 million but you know he helped them in the regular season last year and you know trading him for night was a downgrade to be sure one other thing I want to mention Nene returned in this game he played 10 minutes was negative 18 again i didn't watch many of his minutes but just having him out there instead of hartenstein once he gets right should be a big help and yeah i mean we're gonna have to see where the rockets go they they don't seem concerned i wouldn't necessarily be concerned if i were them but there are two different conversations that need to happen i'm not concerned about them as a regular season team but they're going to need upgrades to be as viable in the playoffs as we all want them to be yeah and those could in in fact be coming but they're gonna have to make the playoffs first here you know i mean they are 11 and 12 right now but this Wolves team has been pretty good. You know, this is, I don't consider this necessarily a bad loss the way the Wolves have been playing. Andrew Wiggins played one of the better Agreed. games that I've seen for him. 16 points on 6 of 11 in 34 minutes. I think playing fewer minutes maybe can help his energy. He had three block shots in this game. I thought that he really had some nice plays guarding Eric Gordon. One where Gordon made this impossible lefty hook shot over him. But usually Eric Gordon, when he penetrates, is going to blow by guys. And Wiggins was able to slide with them. He had a beautiful shot block with his left hand. He had another play where he came over. We 
weak side help as Capella looked like he was rolling to the rim for a dunk. He was able to strip him and he got a steal. Uh, and just, you know, a little bit more judicious shooting. And while Carl Towns was 10 out of 24, which wasn't amazing, you know, he took some more difficult shots late as they were kind of running things down. But 24 shots for Towns and no more than 11 for the rest of the roster. I think that's the type of shot distribution that this team needs. Also worth noting, too, that the Wolves were 11 out of 22 on threes and Houston was 11 out of 39. So it's we can talk all we want about all these other factors but certainly the fact that the shots went down for the wolves and did not for houston was a large factor do you want me to do a two-minute summary of warriors hawks yeah sure i i didn't watch any of that game so uh i mean i guess i can ask a few questions but the hawks are not good that's i mean not really a surprise steph curry actually outscored them in the first quarter he had 18 they had 17 and a lot of that was trey young being bad at defense and deadman wasn't helping as much and then when when len was out there there were some some struggles too they just didn't have enough help so he was getting to the basket got some layups and everything like that and then durant had a you know quiet by his standards 28 it's just ridiculous he was efficient he kind of took a little bit of a backseat to curry when he curry got off so hot but then actually did did a nice job throughout the game also kavon Looney tried and partially succeeded at <laughs> what was either a sham god or an in and out dribble i'm uh, it, it was a I'm sham god i saw you tweeted out it's definitely a sham god because of the because of which hand was used i think that yeah, yeah. and he i actually think he would have he would have quote unquote succeeded at it had he not gotten dig gotten you know a stripped right after i think the move actually was a success but then he got stripped right after that which was bonkers what do you any questions you have well the talk was uh, after the warriors last game in detroit that steve kerr needed to get these guys more threes and you know, he hasn't done a good enough job coaching and you know they only got 24 threes up now when you make 13 of those shoot 54 percent, and steph curry goes six out of ten you look pretty good and then they were getting most of what they wanted here i mean they had a it was a very fast-paced game so that 128 isn't quite as good but uh you know and then looney 14.7 of nine with damian jones now and that's one we could talk about briefly that he is likely out for the year with a torn pectoral muscle demarcus cousins is practicing he's could be back in the next like three or four weeks now uh so they're gonna soldier on with looney and bell draymond isn't gonna come back on this road trip either they got a couple more games uh, on that but certainly they had plenty to uh defeat the woeful hawks in this one um i mean trey young 20 shots in 25 minutes uh, was he really trying to do a lot uh, in this first matchup of his uh, against uh, steph curry who's, to whom he's so often been compared yeah i think the romans i actually thought steph did a pretty good job guarding trey young he had the primary matchup and was getting into his space a lot so then that was making young more of a driver and so he was driving and passing and, and you know he there were a couple plays where it looked like trey young was going to get an assist but then the guy missed the shot it happens but i didn't think most of young's looks were particularly clean of his threes off the top of my head i think maybe two of them were ones that i would have you know expected a normal guy to hit and trey young is obviously typically a better shooter than that but yeah i I thought that he he had a tough go of it overall and torian prince had a tough night the only guy who and this isn't a surprise i mean something we looked at in the 1560 i think john collins is really going to thrive playing with trey young i wish they could play him more at center just because that way they could have more spacing and there wouldn't be as much congestion but he's going to get looks and Collins looked more comfortable with the jump shot. I, I, he Some of his misses were those, he tried a three actually in this game, but I think that it's going to be a, a part of it at some point over the next couple of years and watching him more closely in this game, 
him, I don't think he's that far off. Yeah, and Young had seven turnovers all in the first half, which was just an insane number of turnovers. Uh, and, and Young, I mean, he, yeah. he he might lead the league in turnovers, and he certainly ain't leading the league in minutes right now. Um, let's turn to Detroit and OKC. I saw the first half of this one. It was not close uh, after that. OKC just absolutely throttling Detroit 110 to 83. Six out of 32 three-point shooting for the Pistons, who uh, remain among the league's worst in that category. But, you know, OKC wasn't much better. They were seven uh, out of 25. Steven Adams absolutely dominated Andre Drummond in the first half uh, of this game. He ended up plus 25 for the game with 15 points. Or, I'm sorry, no, that was uh, Jeremy Grant, who also only missed one shot. He had 15 points. Steven Adams was seven of eight from the field, seven of seven from the foul line, plus 21. And uh, Andre Drummond just put on a clinic of how to be inefficient while being six foot 11 with a seven five wingspan and a lot of strength and pretty good leaper. He had a sequence of four straight possessions, one of uh, the last of which came after he'd been sat down for a while. The first one, Detroit gets a steal but all of OKC's guys are back. It's three on five. He decides to take the ball from the wing and just put a bunch of dribble moves on a guard, Terrence Ferguson, in a three on five situation. So you're going against a guard as a big man without a great handle, and you got plenty of help there. He ends up getting stripped. Next play, he's on the right wing. I want to say like an offensive rebound maybe bounced out to him when he was standing there. He looks to pass it back to the top of the key. Here's the crowd roar for him to take the three. Decides to take the three. It's not even close. Next possession, he catches the ball at the free throw line tries a totally predictable right-handed drive against steven adams and steven adams nearly put the ball through the black the backboard blocking a shot and so then he sits down for a while comes back in first time he gets a touch when he comes back in he they throw the ball to him at the free throw line plenty of time on the shot clock and he decides to throw up just like a floater not a jump shot from the free throw line but he didn't have any momentum going towards the basket and not only that but he wasn't even open and Stephen Adams blocked his floater from the free throw line it was just four of the worst decisions you'll ever see from a center and yeah I realize the Pistons don't have a ton of shot creation and they could use him being in the post and oh they got to keep him engaged defensively and they have been a good defense this year and he's been a part of that but man i mean just atrocious and then he also uh, had zero offensive rebounds he's coming in leading the league in offensive rebounds and uh, adams totally shut him down in that regard as well yeah i caught a fair amount of the early part of this game and when a team scores 83 you kind of go was that okc's defense or detroit's offense and my answer was both oh yeah i thought that okc did a really good job but also detroit just doesn't generate that many good looks and the good looks that they generate are almost always blake griffin doing something and sometimes the other players can't capitalize on that so, I mean, those are the concerns about the Pistons. We we talked about that a little bit about the clarifying stretch because they're playing a lot of good teams now. And so can they get reliable offense? Can they defend? And don't want to read too much in it any single game, but they're going to need to win some of these, even if the East is bad, just to kind of stay in all of this. And so I'm still confident, you know, as I should be, that they're, that they're a playoff team, but they're going to have a tougher slate coming up than they've had before. So we'll see. Yeah, this game uh, eventually featured extended garbage time as uh, KP pointed out in his uh, Marv Albert voice uh, on Twitter. I like what Nerlens Noel gave uh, the Thunder in this one. He had a really nice stretch uh, where he was causing some problems for Zaza Pachulia and pick and roll uh, with his gravity rolling to the rim. 
Uh, he had a beautiful block of Blake Griffin with his left hand. He likes to block shots with his left hand. Had a play where he sprinted back in transition and knocked it away. I think it was from Griffin as well. So playing with pretty high effort and OKC, you'll remember that last year backup center was a total sinkhole. I mean, they basically had to play Grant there and they couldn't get a rebound on the second unit defensively. And Noel has helped turn that around. You know, I'm not going to say that he's like a starter level of player. He's still pretty skinny. He's got plenty of foibles, but you know, he is at least solidified that in maybe a slightly larger role than we would have anticipated coming in russell westbrook still you know has not really looked like himself and you know he's getting older maybe those games will be fewer and further between but uh, dennis Schroeder has been moved back to the bench now with uh, ferguson healthy again ferguson uh, with his usual line oh for one on threes in 27 minutes but was plus 16 and then Schroeder, uh, who had been starting probably would have closed this game if we were remotely close uh he was six out of 13 plus 25 so he was once one of the worst plus minus players in the league and now they turn around so this okc team has looked really good their defense is extremely impressive I mean, they basically i think they've kind of morphed into the team and the great defense that we thought they could be last year before they acquired carmelo but i do wonder how well they're going to be able to score against the best teams when they're really up against it you know they're gonna to have to push these teams into the mud but i don't know that the westbrook all the time shooter all the time offense is going to be enough to carry them home uh, against some of the best teams but you know i mean i think when you're looking at that morass right now below the warriors they're certainly playing as well as anybody with that elite defensive unit yeah and they can be a wonderful regular season team because they just get everybody out of the stuff they want to run they have quality defense all over the floor and even though russ is inconsistent and spurty kind of like Schroeder is defensively those guys have physical tools and can try so when they do that it helps and they have so much talent outside of them grant in the starting lineup helps too and adams has been an underappreciated defender now for years let's jump briefly to clippers pelicans this was kind of a side game for me most of the night though I was interested in it part of the reason it became a side game was Nikola Miritich being a late scratch due to illness and that further challenged the gentry rotation because Etwan Moore did return but only played 30 minutes he'd been 20 he minutes got taken off the sorry 20 minutes sorry because he got this was his first game back after dealing with an injury and they're already missing of course Alfred Payton and something that I mean Anthony Davis did a nice job in this game I, th- I thought he played well I thought they defended well against the Clippers when he was on the floor and that's something when a team scores 129 a game. But then they got absolutely pummeled when Davis was not on the floor. I think I saw something that their defensive rating during those minutes was like a 190, which is incredible. <sighs> yeah, Randall and, and, and was and we largely playing center then. In the MVP discussion, the massive on-off differential between when he doesn't play, you know, they're by far worse than the league level of defense and they're you know right around a top 10 unit when he does play. Yeah, Davis played 39 minutes in this game. You can't really ask him. And he looked, there were moments in this game where he looked tired to me, where it was like, you know, because yeah. he's not only is that 39 minutes, but he's doing a lot on both ends of the floor. That's one of the consequences of playing him at center is just he has more to do. And playing with Randall, you know, that that brings other challenges, too, because now and then without Miritich to space the floor and Tim Frazier's in the starting lineup. So they ran an eight man rotation with Hill, Miller and Johnson. But also, of course, credit to the Clippers for for sticking in this one, for pulling it out. And again, you know, oh, another deep performance. Lou Williams hit some big shots late. Gallo hit some big shots late. Tobias Harris, another efficient 
sorry, Western Conference Player of the Month, Tobias Harris. Uh, that 27 points. Yeah. yeah that, that was a little uh, PR focus there. But yeah, I'm, sorry, I'm sorry. I'm pretty sure LeBron James had, had a little bit better. I'm pretty sure Damian Lillard had a little bit. I'm pretty sure Kevin Durant had a little bit. Uh, yeah, that's, yeah. I'm pretty sure Anthony yeah. Davis might have. All right. Sorry. Sorry. Yeah. 27 points, 10 to 16 from the field, 6 to 6 from the line. And, you know, they get they got contributions. Avery Bradley scored a bunch of this game. I still thought he was a little thirsty, taking some shots later, and then he actually fouled. Oh, no, he didn't foul out. I thought he fouled out, but then he didn't. And something that we need to keep an eye on, Montrezl Harrell started out the season doing decently from the free throw line, but he's really tailed off over the last little yeah. bit. And he gets a lot of foul was, shots, too. Right. So he, he was four for nine in this one and one for six in their loss, their close loss in Dallas on Sunday. And then he did have that eight for 12 against Sacramento, but that's the only game where he's over 50% in his last five. So we'll need to see whether the, the good performances are representative and, and because teams, if he's on the floor late, they're going to consider fouling. And it's not like teams are uncomfortable doing that against the LA Clippers. The Clippers went absolutely nuts in the first half offensively, putting up 77 points. And uh, Gallo and Harris really caused a lot of problems. I'm not sure whether Moore didn't play down the end because he was coming back from injury or because he went 0 for 4 from 3. But they're playing with Solomon Hill, Darius Miller, and Wes Johnson once Randall found out. And Randall was unbelievable in this game with 37 points uh, of his own, 15 to 24. His Him fouling out on a loose ball foul, which probably was a foul, although he uh, did not agree with the call. It was uh, perhaps a turning point in this game. But you know, you're playing basically three replacement level guys around AD and Holiday, and they really struggled to get good looks late despite it being a, an offensive game in general. The end of this was a small comedy of errors. The Clippers led 125-123. Drew Holiday gets a pick and roll. He's isolated against Tobias Harris on the switch and goes to just a really bad step back. It might not have even have been a three either. He might have been like heels on the foul line. Misses. Clips get the rebound. And then Solomon Hill, eight second differential. They could have just played defense fouls. The Clippers hit the first free throw to go up two and then commit an over-the-backbreaker on Anthony Davis on the second free throw. Now AD goes to the line, but he only makes one out of two. He actually has been really good in clutch free throws in his career up until this year, but it's three of seven so far this season. And then there's still, even after all that, was enough of a differential that they could just play defense. Clippers run the time down. Gallo didn't really have a, a great advantage late in the clock, but Drew Holiday left Lou Williams, I think, think maybe it was a little bit lower in the clock than it was but there was plenty of time to throw it to Williams he pump fakes take a step to his left hits what ended up being ruled a long two uh then I was sure with about seven seconds left that the Clippers were going to follow Doc Rivers generally always likes to follow in those situations to avoid giving up the three and that's what they did the first time around the Pels still had a timeout. They elected to hit two free throws, which they did instead of going for the intentional miss. Clips come down. They make two free throws. And then the Pels take their last timeout. We thought for sure that they would just foul again. They throw it into each one more who was brought in for the last possession. He's probably 40 feet from the room. I mean, you, you had to be screaming for them to foul at, at that point, I'm guessing. You are correct, sir. <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember what it was. I mean, I think it was years ago, but I remember in one of these situations, uh, there's they threw the ball in bounds and you're like, follow him. 
they're like bringing the ball up court and then the team throws it to someone else you're like now follow him (laughs) i can tell you exactly when it was i remember this it was the warriors playing the brooklyn nets and it was the warriors were ahead by three with like 15 seconds to go and the nets just were lollygagging the ball up the court and then joe johnson had the ball i think he had the ball like above the arc passed it to to brooke lopez inside the arc and then and like i can't remember which warrior center was on the floor at that time just stood next to him and then i think johnson or somebody hit a three to tie the game and then i don't remember i'm assuming the warriors won in overtime because the, yeah. they didn't you know what much at home oh, then. i remember that game it was a home game it was i think in the beginning of the 24-0 run in the 2015-16 yeah, season that i think you're right you know, a game that they probably should have lost and then brooke lopez ended up having like a chance to just tap in an inbounds pass at the bu- at the buzzer that he just missed it and then the, the warriors ended up winning it in overtime i think clay thompson actually didn't play in that game wow that's a that's a memory for it that was a pretty memorable regular season um so anyway more ended up missing and you know it wasn't a great look but you know, probably a better one than it could have been especially given how limited the amount of time was then you know you would have thought that as he puts the ball on the floor to try to dribble closer they would have had a chance to follow and maybe that was the instruction and just you know whoever it was who was on ball at that time i want to say maybe it was bradley decided that he just wasn't going to risk it because maybe they felt like more could have pulled up uh but the clippers win another close game i know they lost in dallas on sunday but they move now uh to 16 and 7 they are tied atop the conference i think right now with the nuggets and i think that's about all we've got here today anything else that you need to talk about before we go well, we'll just mention that Alec Burks hit a game winner against the Nets. Not a game that either of us watched particularly closely. But oh no, we have to mention just so it's in the time capsule for Dunked On. Clutch Kuruks, he had a, a series of big baskets and big plays late in that game. Yeah, he, it was interesting that he was playing at the end. I mean, the, the Nets trailed Cleveland at home for much of that game. And Kuruks had a nice denial on Jordan Clarkson, got a steal, went down, blew the layup, but Dinwiddie tipped it in when they were down four. And then uh, he caught a D'Angelo Russell air ball and tied the game and that's what led to Burks in a pick and roll with Rodney Hood two jazz legends uh, and I, I thought that Larry Drew did well to put take Tristan Thompson off the floor put in another shooter and then Jared Allen was stuck guarding that guy and they just had no help at the rim and that's why uh, Burks was able to just roll down for a game-winning dunk with three seconds left and then uh, Spencer Dinwiddie missed a, a tough fadeaway three that could have won it at the end and yet another close loss for the Brooklyn I mean, the stats are just piling up on that at this point. Yeah, so the Nets now uh, go to 8 and 17. Their playoff odds waning by the day. And uh, D'Angelo Russell, not efficient in this one, 30 points, but it took him 31 shots to do it. Although he did only have one turnover, which helps his line a little bit, and uh, only one free throw attempt in this game. So I think uh, that can wrap up. We'll be back tomorrow. We'll get some news, maybe talk about some of the games tomorrow. We'll see. Uh, We got to do our awards later this week as well so and you better listen the next few days because we actually are going to be taking friday off no episode on friday so we will talk to y'all tomorrow night until then reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest but let me play devil's advocate here let's see so no that's a good thing Uh, (laughs) that's definitely not a problem Uh, reese's you did it you stumped this charming devil 